Okay, let's get started with a word of prayer, if we could, please. Our Father, we come before you this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving you praise and honor and glory. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together as the body of Christ. Pray that we would strengthen and encourage one another this day, that your will would be done and that we would lift your name high for your worthy of all our praise. Lord, thank you for the scriptures and the writings of Ezekiel, so old but so pertinent to our lives today. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who's been guiding and leading us as we've walked through this book. Pray that you would continue to do that today and give us understanding that comes only from above. Lord, apart from you, we could not understand what is written in the scriptures, but thankfully, because of the Holy Spirit, we can. So we give you praise for that and thanksgiving. Pray that you guide our discussion this morning. In Christ's name, amen. This is week number 23 in our walk through eschatology. And you remember we're over in Ezekiel chapter 37, and two weeks ago, we looked at the vision that uh, Ezekiel had, that God gave to Ezekiel in this book. And that was, a, you remember, God took him and put him in the middle of a valley of dry bones. And then as Ezekiel prophesied, those bones came together in skeletons. They grew muscles and ligaments. They grew flesh, which would be all the internal organs and the meaty part of your body. And then on top of that came the skin. And then ultimately, uh, as Ezekiel prophesied, the four winds came and put breath within the uh, dead bodies. And they stood up and they appeared as an exceedingly great army. And so that was two weeks ago. And then last week we looked at the interpretation of that um, passage that God gives. And I don't know how you could mistake this, because when God says, I'll open the graves and uh, bring you out of the graves, that seems to be pretty clear um, what he's saying. And so we looked at that and said, this is resurrection. And then uh, who is being resurrected? Well, he said he called them the whole house of Israel. So we're talking, I believe, about Old Testament saints here and their resurrection, and they're um, at the end of the age, at the beginning of the millennial age, um, God calling these people out of their graves. There's, there's no other place in scripture. Um, Daniel makes an allusion to it for just one verse in chapter 12, but there's no other place in scripture that describes the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. Uh, you can go over to the New Testament and Uh, You see the rapture there, and you see people coming out of the grave and being called up, um, preceding those who are alive. Uh, You go into Revelation, and you see the resurrection of those who died during the tribulation. Um, So you have these other resurrections, but nowhere in Scripture is the resurrection of Old Testament saints detailed. Basically, the Scriptures are silent other than this passage. Certainly there are passages in Isaiah that God says, I'll open the graves and bring you up, but not in this kind of detail, not in this explicit um, God speaking to Ezekiel saying, this is what I'm going to do. And then you remember, he ends it with, this is what I've said, I will do it. So it's like God saying, don't doubt me in this, I'm going to do this, even though it seems a little out there. And so what I want to do this morning, we did it at the end last week. We rushed through, just to get it on the table, all these resurrections that are given in the scriptures. And so I want to walk through them. There are seven of them. And kind of just let's see how they fit together and see if we can't put a timeline on them based on what the scriptures say. And I think you can. Uh, I don't think it's hard to understand. Um, This past week, I pulled some of the commentaries off my shelves, and I read uh, H.A. Ironsides. And Ironside writes that in no way 
does Ezekiel 37 talk about actual resurrection? I mean, he's emphatic. He says it multiple times. And what he says is this is about the, um, the renewal of the Israelites and their coming to faith for eternal life. Now, nowhere in this vision does it say anything about that, right? The, o- the only hint that we get of that is at the very end where God says, I'll put m- my spirit within them. It's the last verse of the interpretation of the vision. But that's what Ironside says. He says, this is an allegory. This is not reality because it's a vision. Um, he's not actually seeing anything that's going to happen. Now, if you take that tact, then when you get the revelation and all of those are visions, None of that's going to happen either. So that's Ironside. Then I went to Calvin's commentaries. And what I find in Calvin is he got to chapter 20 and then stopped in, in Ezekiel. So you got everything else. You got Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. And then Ezekiel stops in chapter 20. Don't know why. Maybe he didn't have time to get to it. So Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't get there in Ezekiel. So Calvin never looked at this. Well, maybe. Or, I mean, he did the first 20 chapters, which um, is kind of interesting. Um, but he didn't do the rest of the book, in the, the um, chapters 21 through 46. He didn't do those. So that didn't do me any good. I've got several preterite books on my shelves because you've got to know what the other side says, right? And none of that makes sense to me. Everything is allegory. Just 100%. Jesus Christ returned in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. And uh, we're now in the millennium. We have been for over 2,000 years. So, I, you know, that all doesn't connect for me. And Ironside doesn't connect either because what he said is that Ezekiel 37 and Daniel 12 match up. Well, Del- and he says that Daniel's clearly talking about resurrection. Well, then how did that match up in 37 not be resurrection? So I, I read his and I just left confused um, because it didn't make any sense what he said. On one side he says it is resurrection, the other side he said it's not. So um, anyway, I, I pulled those off just to see what some other guys had to say, I have a, a really what I think is a good book by a guy named uh, Valverd, um, W-A-L-V-W-O-R-D, and it's all, it's um, major prophecies of the scriptures, and he basically goes through every significant prophecy that's in the scriptures. He does a good job at it, and what he believes is that Ezekiel 37 is a resurrection of the Old Testament saints. Um, and it's the only place that it's given in Scripture. And I, I kind of read a good bit of what he had to r- write, and no place did I find where I would disagree with what he said. So he's a literalist. He's, uh, I mean, and he goes through all the prophecies of the Scriptures. So it's kind of an interesting book You, uh, if you ever want to just read. And he, he does it in, in chronological order, um, not passage by passage. So as he goes through a particular description of resurrection and all the other prophecies too, um, he does it kind of in, in story form, but references all the scriptures. So if you want to find something about Ezekiel 37, you have to go to the concordance and say, okay, where was this? Um, because, you know, timeline, right? So let's walk through the seven resurrections that are given in scripture and I think these are all of them um, that you could say this is definitely talking about resurrection the first one is given over in 1st Corinthians chapter 15 and you know this and and pretty much everybody agrees on this that I've read and it's uh, revel- uh, 1st Corinthians 15 and verse 20 where it says now but now Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who are asleep. So, um, what he, pretty much universal agreement that no one was resurrected and stayed resurrected 
other than Jesus Christ. You know, they're clearly, uh, Jesus raised a couple of dead people um, as they were being taken to the tomb. Um, but those people didn't go on to everlasting life. They died again a natural death. And so, um, the, um, so Jesus Christ, the first fruits, he's, no one else could go to eternal life until Jesus Christ did. So then you have to deal with, well, what happened to the Old Testament saints? And that's a discussion for another day. Okay, what I believe happened to the Old Testament saints, I think there is a place called Hades. Um, it's, it's not torture, it's the abode of the dead, which is what Hades is, and that those people could not go to uh, heaven, to eternal life, until Jesus Christ did, because he would be the first to do that. And so those people were um, in the abode of the dead. And then you could talk about, you know, Jesus Christ's parable, about the great chasm between those who are in Abraham's bosom and those who aren't. And we won't go into all that today. I, I happen to believe that's a literal pa passage. Most people don't. Um, they don't believe it is. Go ahead. Sheol would be the Old Testament word. Hades would be the New Testament word, the abode of the dead. Okay, so Jesus Christ, the first to be resurrected, and you remember when Jesus Christ was resurrected, it's given over in Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 50, that other people were resurrected, um, not when Christ was resurrected, but when Christ died. The veil was split in two, the earthquake happened, the tombs were opened, and people came out of them. Um, Matthew 27 Verse 50, so this is the second resurrection or, um, that we'll look at. Matthew 27, 50 through 53, I think. 27, 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Nothing else said in scripture about these people. So you assume, um, because nothing else is said about them, that they die again and go back into the tombs. Don't know how long they were alive. Don't know how many people saw them. Um, but the scriptures are pretty clear that other people at Jesus Christ's death came out of the tombs and went into Jerusalem and people saw them. Many people saw them. Um, so you assume that these are believers, people who had uh, believed in Jesus Christ but died before he did. So, you know, my question for this is, are these Old Testament saints or are they New Testament saints? So, because they died before Christ, but then they came back to life and then died after Christ was ascended to the heaven. So, I don't know if they're Old Testament or New Testament saints. Um, <laughs> maybe both. So, I don't know if they'll be in the resurrection of, that we've been looking at in Ezekiel or if they'll be caught up in the air uh, when the rapture happens. But one of those two, for sure. Um, so that's the second group that you see resurrected. Again, they don't stay alive and go to eternity. If, I believe if they did, that the scriptures would tell us that. And if they did, then Christ wouldn't be the first. So uh, I believe they die again. Okay. So then, I mean, there's not a whole lot um, written about the resurrections except for when you look at the rapture of the church. So in 1 Corinthians, back in 1 Corinthians, um, chapter 15 and verse 51, and the, these are familiar passages to you. It's not that I'm giving you anything new. We're just trying to put them in order. So you had Jesus Christ the first. You had those people who came out of the graves at his death. And now you've got this passage. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. 
we will not all sleep, a euphemism for die, right? But we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. And, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and the mortal will have put on immor immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So here you clearly have um, uh, the rapture of the church and the twinkling of the eye at the last trumpet, and we could talk about that for a long time because there are several trumpets in the book of Revelation um, that we one day, if the Lord wills and we live that long, we'll talk about. Um, but in this passage, it's pretty clear that people are caught up in the air with the Lord and they're changed. And that's changed from uh, mortality to immortality, a different body, something that never dies, that doesn't have the corruption that we have. Um, and so... Um, and, and death, you know, is swallowed up in victory, meaning all of those who've died are no longer defeated or in the grave as a result of death. So that's one place where the scripture talks about the rapture. There's another over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And these are the only two, by the way, um, where Paul wrote explicitly about this. In, in this particular passage, he's trying to give some comfort um, to those who did not understand what would be coming. And, you know, <laughs> you have to assume, I mean, Paul was only in Thessalonica less than a month, probably only a couple of weeks, and yet he had taught them this truth that he's now reiterating to them. So Paul considered eschatology to be important. It's part of the gospel because he got to it within the first couple of weeks of teaching these people. So you get to um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. <clears throat> For this we say to you by, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So clearly, um, those who are alive and those who have died in Christ. Died in Christ, I believe, means placing faith in Jesus Christ. You know his name and you place faith in him, whereas the Old Testament saints look forward to a Messiah, but they had no idea what his name was going to be. So died in Christ, I believe, means New Testament saints, people who um, believed in Jesus Christ and died after he was ascended back to the Father. And so here you have them, all of them, those who are alive and those who are dead, being caught up into the air. Now, if you think about this, when this happens, at least for a few moments, there are no believers on the planet. Because the dead have gone and the alive have gone. So there are no believers. Now, I think very, very soon, after that happens, there will be a lot of people who believe, especially those who grew up in the church and have heard this all their life but never really trusted in Jesus Christ. They see it in reality. Uh, their loved ones are gone. Their family is gone. Uh, their parents are gone and their children. Um, I think very quickly there will be a, a lot of people who place faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and I believe this is that just before the seven years of tribulation. You could disagree with that. I could make the argument for mid-tribulation. I know, I know the passages. I know their, the logic. I could make the argument for 
um, at the end of the tribulation. So post-tribulation. I make all those arguments, I just don't believe them. The one I believe happens to be um, pre-trib rapture. But that doesn't matter um, when it happens because here you see it does happen. And again, I don't think this is an allegory. I don't think this is um, Paul just writing about you know, something spiritual here because he's too graphic. Just like Ezekiel 37 is so graphic, um, I don't think he's writing about an allegory. Um, you can make that argument, but I don't think it holds any water. Um, and so I take the literal interpretation. In here you have um, the rapture of the church, the rapture of all those who place faith in Jesus Christ. Go ahead. How about the timing of the rapture? The year is up on, as you said, just before the tribulation. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we know exactly the timing of uh, the, the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation. You remember the beginning of the seven years of tribulation are bad times, but the Antichrist doesn't come on the scene and dominate in that, um, in that evil way until the middle of the tribulation. The first three and a half years are more natural cataclysmic things, earthquakes, uh, tsunamis, um, you know, pestilence, um, the world, uh, people dying of disease. It's more that in the first three and a half years than it is the Antichrist wielding his sword. Actually, he comes with a false peace um, and makes a pact with the nation of Israel. And I believe there's a temple that's resurrected and the sacrifices begin again uh, before he turns against them. Well, he's always against them. He just doesn't show his colors until the middle of the tribulation. So the first half of the tribulation is mainly natural cataclysmic things um, as opposed to um, the rule of the Antichrist. Um, we'll one day look at all that and you can see that very clearly. Um, so... You know, is, is the rapture then when the nation of Israel has to flee to the desert, which is at the three and a half year point? Or is it at the beginning of that? Um, you, you can make arguments for all of that. Um, and there are some who make an argument that comes after, um, at the time when the Antichrist is defeated. Um, I don't believe that, and there are several reasons for that. I gave you... Um, some the last time we looked at this I'll give you that again today um, so you've got the rapture and the resurrection of all the those who died in Christ so all that leaves now is those who die in after the rapture and the Old Testament saints Right. But yet, what appears to be maybe not a, a complete universal, but a very large global false peace. Right. Where the absence of truth has really prevailed, right? And it's, it's difficult for me to imagine the faithful church, the full church, not being the bearer of that truth. Yeah, it's really deception, right? And you're right, that if the, if the church, the true church, was standing up screaming, this is the tribulation, this is what's written in Revelation, you would think that this universal peace, yeah, this universal peace would not exist, right? Um, and, and you see the world going that way now, very much so. Um, I believe it'll be the ultimate caliphate, but I could be wrong. Right, right. right. Let's for the church, throw the truth out so the church can have the peace. Well, you just began to step right into that first half of the tribulation. Right, and, and you know, um, that peace is what everybody on the planet wants. So they will willingly assent 
to whoever can bring that peace, whoever can wield that peace, the, the whole world would, it, it would welcome that. It's just what comes after that. I mean, we've got that today, right? Um, the whole world trying to cooperate to overcome the coronavirus. And, and so you could see that if you take that and magnify it times 10, what kind of effort would you have of the whole world to come together to do something about that? You can, you can see it, how it would set up very easily. Um, I mean, you... Oh, there, there's a lot of things that play into that. Um, but you can see how it could happen. We see it today. Um, and because communication today is so much greater than it was at the last plague, and we, you know, we get the count, you know, we see the counts from all the countries around the world that you can, you can see it'll be a unified effort. So you can see how that could happen. Um, I do believe in pre-tribulation rapture, but I could be wrong. And uh, I don't think I am, but I could be. All right, so that's the rapture. All true believers that died in Christ, gone um, eternally with Jesus Christ. Um, then you, in Revelation, there's another resurrection uh, given in Revelation in chapter 11. And I think this is a one-off. I think this is a unique situation, but nevertheless, it's resurrection. These are the two witnesses um, that God sends to the earth during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. These guys appear to me to be supernatural. They can breathe fire out of their mouth and destroy anybody who would try and harm them. They can cause it not to rain. So it's a possibility that it doesn't rain for three and a half years anywhere on the planet. You can imagine what that would be like. Um, so I, I think that's part of it. Uh, they can turn water into blood. Um, they can cause, and this is kind of interesting, they can cause any kind of earthly problem that they want to whenever they desire, is what the scripture says. So these guys are, I believe, supernatural, but they're killed by the Antichrist. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, Revelation 11. So it's pretty early in Revelation, actually, when these guys come. Revelation 11. So, yeah, 7. When they have finished their testimony, that's the two, two witnesses, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, that would be Jerusalem, which mystically is called Sodom in Egypt, where, there, where also their Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples and the tribes and the tongues and the nations, that's everybody, will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. So they're laying in the street dead. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. So they have a party because the two witnesses have been killed. Now, do you think the church is there? Because these guys have been testifying for, for Jesus Christ and for God. And so the church joins all these people? I don't think so. It's just another reason. But then what happens? And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Then they went up into heaven. Oh, sorry, verse 11. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. No kidding, right? They've been laying in the street for three days, and all of a sudden they stand up, yeah, you would be fearful too. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Then they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies watched them. Resurrection of the two witnesses. It's clear as day, right? I mean, if they're dead in the street for three days, and then they stand up, that's resurrection. 
just like the dry bones standing to their feet. That's resurrection. And notice again, it says the breath of God came into them, just like the, in Ezekiel 37. And at that point, they stand up. Those bodies were also laying in the valley dead until the breath spoke, came into them, and then they stood up. And so same thing happening here. Right. Yeah, I mean, these people, um, this is at, by the way, that midpoint of the tribulation. This is when the Antichrist comes on the scene and he kills these two guys. This is his first act and the whole world rejoices. And so who do they give their allegiance to? Very clear. Yes. Yeah, um, and when you talk about days and Jewish years, you have to use 360 days per year, not because they had 12 months of 30 days. And so you have to use 360, not 365. And then every so often, whenever the Sanhedrin thought it was appropriate, they added a 13th month to make up for the rotation of the earth and to make up for our 365 days. So about every six or seven years, they added a 13th month and then got everything back in sync so that their crops and all would be able to be harvested at the right time. The question to me has always been, where did these two witnesses come from? They came from heaven. And who are they? We don't know. Yeah, but they don't know that, right? The scriptures don't give them names. Yeah, and these are pillars, and he calls them pillars, so, but you don't know who they are. And I like to th stay with things that I know, not things that, I, that it could be. And it could be one, two of those guys, but remember, fire comes out of their mouth. Yeah, well, they wouldn't be normal human beings. Right, for sure. And, and, they, and they kill a lot of people. I mean, you can see it. They wreak havoc on the earth because people are trying to kill them. And so before they can get to them, they slay them with fire and with pestilence and all kinds of stuff. So that's the fourth resurrection. Okay, we've had Jesus Christ. We had those who came out of the grave when he died. We've had the rapture of the church and those who are dead preceding those who are alive. And now here we've got the two witnesses. That's four of them. All right, the fifth one is the one that is most familiar over in Revelation chapter 20. And again, you know, why, why are you going through these now? Because we just were in the middle of Ezekiel 37, which is the only place that talks about resurrection of the Old Testament saints in the scriptures. That's why. So we want to try and put this all in order. Now, it's very clear that all of these that have happened up until this time, maybe not, the, maybe not the rapture of the church, but the other three, it's very clear they are before the end of the tribulation. I mean, they have time stamps on them, right? Jesus Christ, those who came out of the grave when Jesus Christ um, died, and now here at the middle of the tribulation after three and a half years. So it's before the end. The rapture, we could debate. All right, and then we're at the end in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Nope, don't want to go there. Four. There's no reference to the church after Revelation chapter 3. Right. Which is, why I which is why I believe they will build a temple in Jerusalem on the sacred spot because of this, these references that are here. And if you remember, Antiochus, which foreshadowed um, 
what's going to happen in the tribulation time. Antiochus sacrificed Christians on the altar in the temple. And so that pre-shadows what the, the Antichrist is going to do, so there has to be a temple. So that's part of that cooperation that we see across the whole planet. And yet the nations will, all the nations will be there, not just the Israelites. Israelites will be there up, at, uh, up until the midpoint, but so will all the other nations. This is that... Right, right. I mean, it is where the Dome of the Rock is. That's the spot. So how's all that going to work? I don't know, but it is. All right, so Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And this is the one that is familiar. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the, and who is that? And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has part of the first resurrection over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So who is this? These are the people who did not receive the mark of the beast. That's during the tribulation. So these are people who believed in Jesus Christ and were martyred because of their faith during the tribulation. Okay, that's specifically who this passage is talking about. And so the, we already had the rapture of the church. This is another reason I believe in pre-trib rapture um, because those, the church doesn't go through the agony of do I receive the mark or do I not receive the mark. And if I don't, then I'd either die of starvation because you can't buy or sell anything or you are killed because you didn't receive the mark of the beast. And so if, if the church was there, then this would be their resurrection. Referring to these folks as the church. That's right. Because they're being added to the church right up to this point. And so this, this is a subtle reason, but it's pretty explicit that these are people who died during the tribulation. They didn't receive the mark of the beast. Um, so the church isn't there. So just another reason I believe in pre-trib rapture. Um, little passages like this which give us, I think, ample evidence of that. And so now you've got everybody from the time of Jesus Christ until through the end of the tribulation who have been resurrected. Everybody. Except for those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Right? So, where are the Old Testament saints? because we now have five resurrections. Where are the Old Testament saints in all of this? The New Testament is silent on the Old Testament saints being resurrected. There's nothing there. You won't find it. You know, I, I usually teach that it's in the white spaces in chapter 20. Well, it's in Ezekiel 37 is where it's at. And why doesn't Revelation go through it? Because... It's not that it's on a different planet. It's just a whole different genre of what's happening. Israel is special. Israel is unique. Israel is resurrected and taken to their land. All, none of this do you see any references to that land and all of that because Israel is going to be reigned by the 12 apostles with Jesus Christ. That's what Christ told them. You'll reign with me on thrones over the 12 tribes. So Israel is unique at the end of the age. And you know, people say, ah, oh, it's crazy. The church, the church is Israel. And I know. I, Otherwise, what do you do with Ezekiel 37? You do what Ironside did. You say, oh, this is just talking about uh, regeneration. He actually calls it resuscitation of the nation. I just can't use those terms. It's resurrection is what it is. 
it's very clear when Christ, when God says, I'll bring you out of the graves, he's talking about resurrection. Right. Yeah, that's that's why we started way back in Genesis, because that's the thread. And you remember this: when God says that um, that He's going to take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, and that He's going to put His Spirit within them, all the things that we wash them clean of their sins. All the things that we saw that are analogous to New Testament salvation in chapter 36. And, and yet, what a benefit for the people of Israel. And yet God says, I'm not doing this for you. I'm not doing this for you. I'm not doing this because it'll be good for you. I'm doing it for me. So that my name will not be profaned. And so if Israel doesn't come back as a nation, and God doesn't do all that he said he's going to do, his name remains profaned. And that's the whole plan of God. Why did he choose Israel? So in the end, he could cause the whole world to know who he is. And that's what he says multiple times. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it for me and for my name's sake. And the whole world will know that I am the Lord. That's why he's going to do it. Then his name is not profaned anymore. The whole world hates him even during the millennial reign, but they assent to the fact that he did exactly what he said he's going to do because it'll be in front of them. Remember, all the nations will see and be amazed. And so that is how he gets glory to himself and how his name is not profane. That's what the whole plan is about, is God getting glory. And that's what people miss. They go into all the little details and miss that this is part of a grand plan for God to get glory to himself. That's, that's why he created the creation. I mean, if the people won't cry out, the rocks will. Right? I mean, that's what this is all about. And we miss that big picture. And if you do, then you think that Israel is the church and all these things that you go, no, God's name would still be profaned among the nations. Right. And God so wants to save as many as he can, right? Because it's very man-centered and, frankly, narcissistic in its root. And it has no basis in Scripture. Everything God accomplishes is despite man. Right. And the, now they would run to passages like, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to faith. Well, and that is his desire but it's not his decreed will. And there's a difference. And God never goes against his decreed will, even though he desires to. So his desires don't trump his decreed will. His decreed will trumps his desires. And you have to understand that as you look at all those passages in Scripture. We won't get into all that. All right, so that's six resurrections. You just named two that happened at the beginning of the millennium. Yes, um, one is Old Testament saints, and one is tribulation saints. We don't know exactly. How long does it take God to restore Israel? Yeah, no, I mean, how long does it take God? Jesus Christ comes to reign in Jerusalem after he slays all the armies. How long does it take for him to do what he's going to do in Israel? We don't know. Is it a week? Or is it a month? Is it a year? We, I mean, we don't know. We just know that it does happen, and it can't happen during the tribulation, so it's after the tribulation, but we don't know how long that takes. I mean, you, you got realize the state of the world when Christ kills all the armies of all the nations. Panic. Major panic of the whole world. And then you have these 
supernatural Christians coming to reign all over the world. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be some chaos. The, and, and then you've got to do something with all the dead bodies. And Scripture speaks to that, about them cleaning up the dead bodies. And it takes seven years for them to do that. So I don't know the timing of all this. To the You know, you, this happens on day one, this happens on day two. But it all happens in a fairly short period of time compared to a thousand years. And it does happen. Okay, that's the resurrection of all the believers. Yes. Okay. First was Christ. Second was open tomb. Yeah. Third was the rapture. Yes. And then underlying New Testament saints are the two separate ones, but that's together. That's together. And then two witnesses. Right. And then the New Testament saints killed during the trip. Yeah, that's five. five. Okay. Then six is. Yeah, the Old Testament saints in Ezekiel 37. That's the sixth one. That's the sixth one. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the chronology of that. Okay, I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> I don't know if the uh, um, tribulation saints or Israel, what's the chronology of that? Maybe simultaneously. I, I don't know because um, Scripture doesn't give it to us. The seventh one is um, Revelation 20, verse 11 really didn't think this would take the whole time, but obviously it has. Revelation 20, 11 through 15, and you know this. Then I saw the great white throne, and those who sat upon it, from whom his presence, earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, so this is the resur resurrection in a sense. It's a resurrection so you can be punished forever. That's not much of a resurrection. Um, but And all the great and the small are there. So um, that's everybody. And, and they go to the throne. The question is, are there anybody in this judgment whose names are written in the book of life? Right? Uh, I'd say 99% would say, no, this is the dead who are going to be judged and punished for their sins. And I say, really? What happens to the people who are born in the millennial term and don't die? Where, where are they judged? And I think they're here. You know, there are people who would say, you're crazy. You're out of here. But what happens to them? I mean, Scripture doesn't say. And why have the book of life there if there aren't somebody whose name is written in it? And so I think there are some, not, not you know, a huge number, but I think there are some who at the end of the millennial reign are still alive and haven't died, and they go through this judgment, and their names are written in the book of life. And they're with God forever, whereas the others are not. Um, that's just the way I see it. Now, there are two groups of people that I don't find anything in Scripture that it says about. And the first one is um, those who place faith in Christ during the tribulation but are not killed. Are there any of those? Scripture doesn't answer that question. Maybe there aren't. Maybe everybody who places faith in Christ during the tribulation dies or martyred. That's possible. I mean, scripture is just silent on that. But clearly there are people who place faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation. This is outside of Israel because Israel is a special case. Outside of Israel are there people who believe and don't die. We don't know. Scripture doesn't answer that. And then the other group are... Um, 
those who place faith in Christ during the millennial reign and die during the millennial reign. What happens to them? Scripture doesn't tell us. Maybe they're in the great white throne judgment and they're true believers and their names are found written in the book of life and they go to be with God. That's what I think happens because scripture doesn't answer these questions. And so, but it does if they're in the great white throne judgment, then scripture answers those questions. So that's why I think that's where they're at. And they go through that judgment mainly with people who never believed in Jesus Christ, but their names are found written in the book of life. And that's everybody. There is nobody who's excluded from that. And that includes even the supernatural um, angels that are with Satan. So, seven resurrections in Scripture. In what way does the rapture glorify God at the time it happens? In what way does it glorify God? Because he's kept his promises to those who place faith in Jesus Christ. And they're trained... Oh, no, 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 but they will But they will know when those saints come to reign over the earth. Revelation chapter 5 says that those saints will reign with Jesus Christ, not in Israel, because that's left exclusively for the apostles, but everywhere else has got to be reigned too. And that's where the true believers are. Well, well, and you can just imagine, if that happened now, would you praise God? Oh, yeah. All the way up, (laughs) right? All the way up. And once you got there, you wouldn't stop. So that's where he gets glory from the church. So all of this, all of this, all of eschatology, all of the scriptures are about the glory of God. No. Yeah, you're talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the bride is the church. That's the way it's spoken of multiple times. So that supper probably happens before the end of the the end of the tribulation. Because the next very next piece is the rider on the white horse. Right. Right. White horse with a bunch of people with him on white horses. That's you. <laughs> right. Right. And, um, you know, is Revelation chronological? For the most part, yes. Um, there are some instances where he, he retracts. But um, anyway, that's the seven resurrections. I wanted to go through them and show you how they fit with Ezekiel 37. Because if you don't believe Ezekiel 37 is the resurrection of Israel, then Israel isn't resurrected in the scriptures. And that would seem like a pretty big hollow spot. Thanks for your time.